Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's a podcast where we're studying the Word of God. We're studying the Bible. We're studying the Gospel of John. Today is episode 125. We're looking at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Let's read the passage together, then go back and talk about it. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Well, this is the story of the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. And the entire chapter is devoted to this episode. Healing of the blind is something that's, well, we don't see it in the Old Testament People are healed of a variety of things in the Old Testament by the acts of the prophets, but there are no healings of blind people. And of all the acts of the apostles, there is no healing of blind people. There is the case when Saul, who is going to be called Paul, went to Damascus to arrest Christians, and he was struck blind by the appearance of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then God sent Ananias to lay hands on him to restore his sight. But that was a temporary thing, and there was like scales that fell off of Paul's eyes when his sight was restored. Other than that, the only one we see healing blind people is Jesus. And we see more blind healings than any other kind of healing. So well, what do we make of this? Well, the healing of a blind person is something incredibly miraculous. The reason Jesus performs miracles is to display who he is. It's a way of showing God's endorsement of who he is. If we just look through the New Testament at some of the mentions of the healings of blind people in Matthew chapter 9 verses 27 to 31, we have Jesus traveling and two blind men following him calling out, have mercy on a son of David. And he touches their eyes and, and they are healed. But Jesus warns them not to tell anyone, but they do. Then in Matthew 12, verses 22 to 24, there was a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak. And he healed him. In Matthew 15, verses 29 to 30, uh, Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee Large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and he healed them. So we see him healing blind people there. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing. In uh, Matthew 21, verse 14, it says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Then in Mark uh, chapter 8, it says, They came to Bethsaida. Uh, up in Galilee, they brought a blind man to him, begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, brought him out of the village, spitting on his eyes, laying his hands on him. He healed him. 
Mark chapter 10, they came to Jericho, and you have the man named Bartimaeus, the blind beggar who Jesus heals. Luke chapter 7, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. He granted sight to many blind people. And this is a response to a question by John the Baptist. He says, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. So we see these many, many instances of Jesus healing blind people. Back in the Old Testament, the idea of giving sight to the blind was associated with God personally. No prophet ever did such a thing. In Exodus chapter 4, the Lord said, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. That's from Psalm 146. So, in Old Testament view of thing, only God can restore sight. And anything that a prophet would do would be done in the power of God. But prophets don't do that. Now, in Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophecy that speaks a lot to the coming of the Messiah. And there's uh, three places in uh, Isaiah that talk about the blind scene, and these are all associated with messianic activity, the arrival of the Messiah. It's Isaiah 29, on that day the deaf will hear the words of a document, and out of a deep darkness the eyes of the blind will see. In uh, Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Uh, Isaiah 42 talks about uh, bringing a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, bring prisoners out. So we, we see uh, in Isaiah that the coming of the Messiah will be associated with restoring sight to the blind. So that's why we see Jesus healing blind people. This was prophesied that uh, the Messiah would bring sight to the blind. So John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. The time frame is uncertain. After the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in October, it's before the Feast of Dedication. We'll see that in chapter 10. That's in December. So it's in the fall. It's uh, sometime there. It could be days after the Feast of Tabernacles. It could be a considerable time. We just don't know. John doesn't tell us the time frame. It's not important. But it is in Jerusalem. We do know that. This, this takes place in Jerusalem. So in verse 1, as he was passing by, he saw my, a man blind from birth. That doesn't say how they knew he, that he's blind from birth. It could be just Jesus knows this as part of his supernatural knowledge of things. It, it could be somebody told them. It could be he's famous. But this is a man blind, and he was blind from birth. Now the word gets translated birth here. The Greek word is genete. And just uh, as an interesting note, it's the only place in the New Testament you see this word. It's not significant, but it does highlight that this man was blind from birth. Now, there's a question here. Verse 2, his disciples asked him. Now, we don't hadn't seen the disciples really all through chapter 7 and 8, but, but here they are. are these the 12, these other disciples. John did differentiate. It, it's not important to the story. But the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The question, why is this man blind and who is at fault? Who is to blame? Because their understanding, the common understanding was bad things happen to people because of sin. 
are struck blind by God as punishment for your sin. So what's about this guy? Blind since birth? Certainly he couldn't have sinned before he was born, could he? Well, some argued yes. Uh, the story of Jacob and Esau struggling with each other in the womb. The implication is that Esau sinned even in the womb. So is it possible you could sin before you're born? That was a widely held view, but maybe, which leaves his parents. And the idea that he would be born blind because of the sin of his parents, that just seems awfully severe. But there's some thing people believe that. But that was the general understanding. Somebody had to sin as a order for this guy to be born blind. So who was it? Whose fault is it? Now Jesus answers in verse 3. Now he doesn't really answer what he gives them as a better answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answers. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. So the question is, whose fault is it? Who is to blame? Who is the one who has sinned? And the answer is, well, neither one of them. Well, then how is it that this guy was born blind? Now, there's a a lot of debate about this verse, and this brings up a a bigger debate about the whole idea of theodicy, that is, the, the, the problem of evil. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's just talk about this sentence for a moment. What's actually being said here? Jesus said that it wasn't because of somebody's sin that this man was born blind. So he doesn't answer the why. He really answers the now what. I think the best way to take this is uh, the word that gets uh, translated as that in verse 2 or so that in verse 3. It comes from the Greek word henna in order that. They're asking what caused his blindness was whose sin caused the blindness. So so who sinned resulting in his blindness? And Jesus is giving the answer to a a different question, really. It was more of a so what or now what? And he's saying that the man was born blind. Yes, he was born blind. But the result of that is that God's works will be displayed in him. So I think it's incorrect to say God struck this man blind to show off of his healing, but that God will use this man's blindness to display his own glory and use this as an opportunity for good. So the question is, what caused it? The answer is, what are we going to do about it? Uh, Interesting word here that Jesus says God's works might be displayed. Our perspective, this is a miracle. This is amazing, and it is. But from God's perspective, this this is just what he does. This is his work. These are the the things that he does. And Jesus goes on with the theme of work. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Point being that time is limited. And he says in verse 5, for as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So it's day now because he's in the world doing the work of one who sent him. But pretty soon he will leave the world. Then it will be night. He will no longer be the light of the world. And that's night is coming. Time is limited for him from his perspective. 
the time is limited in that he's going to be crucified pretty soon for us because he says we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day for us time is limited in that when jesus returns there's going to be the end of things things are going to be wrapped up and we will not be able then to take the gospel to the world at that point so verse 6 after he said these things he spit on the ground made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes go he told him wash in the pool of siloam which means sent so he left washed and came back seen so questions why the spit why the mud why the wash and John doesn't really tell us so anything we want to say there is conjecture but the point is this is the way he did it so he, he makes some mud from his saliva and the dirt and some say okay that's reminiscent of God breathing life into the man who is created out of the dirt eh, I don't get it but uh, this this is the way he did it some believe there there was healing properties in mud regardless he, he makes the mud puts on his eyes and then tells him to go wash in the pool of silo which means sent jesus was sent his disciples were sent so that's maybe john's play on words there this is reminiscent from second kings chapter five nahum the commander of the army of aram north of israel and in some of his raids into Israel, he had captured a, a young Israelite girl, and she was a servant in his household, and he had a skin disease. Apparently, he was a, a, a good slave owner, and the, the young girl says, well, there's this guy in Israel, she referred to Elisha, who can heal that sort of thing. So the uh, uh, Nahum, the, the commander of the uh, army, goes to Israel to find the healing man. And comes to the house of Elisha, sends the messenger to the door. The commander of the army is here. Elisha sends a messenger to the door and says, well, tell him to go dip it in the uh, river seven times. And uh, the commander is very uh, irate about this. He's supposed to come out and do something amazing. Tell me to go dip in the river. I could, could have done that at home. But his servants say to him, if he told you to do something really incredibly tough, you'd have done it. He just told you to do something easy. Go do it. And he does, and he's healed. The point being, his healing was predicated by his act of obedience, which showed that he actually believed. I think that's what's going on here. Could Jesus have just said, your sight's restored? Absolutely. But he did put the onus then on the man to do this act of obedience as manifestation of the fact that he believed that he would be healed. So he goes, he washes, and he's healed. We won't see Jesus again until verse 35. The next few days we'll be looking at will be the man, his family, dealing with the religious leaders. The big question in here of all this is the problem of evil, the issue of theodicy. That is, why is there pain and suffering? Why is there evil? And one of the arguments is, it's a six-point argument, a powerful, perfect being can prevent any evil. That is God. He can prevent evil. And this perfectly good being, God, will prevent evil as far as he can. Three, God is perfectly powerful and good. Four, so if a perfectly powerful and good 
God exists, there will be no evil. Number five, there, there is evil. Six, therefore God doesn't exist. And this is a, a problem a lot of people have. If there really was a good God, why would he let all this bad stuff happen? And, and it's a, a tough question. You know, two choices, I think, is really the proper answer is a combination of both. We can't say there is no evil. Of course there's evil. And we don't say God is incapable of stopping evil. Absolutely he's capable. And we don't say he's perfectly good. Yes, he is. So the problem is, why does a perfectly good God who could stop all evil allow evil? And it's a combination of two answers. One is to give some explanation to it. Well, this is why God allows evil. Secondly is to throw a lot of humility on it and say, we really can't say exactly why God does what why God does, but we believe he has good reasons. And so some of the the uh, the answers are that it's uh, some suffering as a result of punishment. Suffering is used by God to, to build up our faith. That uh, suffering and pain uh, allows God to display his glory and that the, uh, the greater good can't exist without some kind of suffering. But all of these, there's got to be this healthy dose of humility thrown in of we really can't say exactly why God does what God does. And the answer to the question of the disciples is it wasn't because of any particular person's sin. The fact that this man was born into a sinful, fallen, corrupt world. And often bad things happen to good people. It's not because of their individual sin. It's the fact that we live in a sinful world. And why God allows there to be a sinful world, I, I can't really say, but there is a sinful world. And the solution to that is to turn to God, not deny that God exists. So I, I did a funeral of a, a, a teenage girl once who was killed in an auto accident. And my best offer of hope for everyone was not to explain why God allowed it to happen, but as a a blatant example of why we need God. We do live in a sinful, fallen world. Jesus said, well, let's not answer the question of why this guy was blind, but let's say, hey, this guy is blind, so now what? Let's see God's glory displayed in his healing. We do live in a sinful, fallen world, which shows our need for a good, loving God. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through the Gospel of John.